You know, the, today is Pentecost, and on that very first one, the disciples, and the Word tells us about 100, 120 people were in the, the room, and the scholars feel like it's the same upper room that Jesus had His Last Supper. But they were meeting together. Jesus had been with the disciples and believers for 40 days after His resurrection. Documented. They say at one place there were 500 that He addressed. But many saw Him during 40 days after His resurrection. That 40th day... The disciples stood there almost with their mouths open as they watched the ascension of Jesus Christ. Don't you kind of relate to that? If you see an ascension, wouldn't you be standing there with your mouth open? And then a couple of angels appeared and said, what are you looking at? He will come back the same way He has left. And they went back to the upper room and met with all of those that believed, men and women in that upper room. Jesus had told them to go back and to wait. To wait. Does that hit a nerve with some of you? That is just a word I have a lot of trouble with. You know, um, patience. I know it's a virtue, but I hadn't gotten there yet. I want it like yesterday. But he said, disciples, go back and wait. They didn't know what to expect, but he said that he would be there. Pentecost was one of the major worship experiences for the Hebrews, one of the three major ones. And so they went back, and the Word tells us they were in prayer daily. They were in prayer, and they they were having communion together. For ten days, and they did not know what to expect, except he said that he was going to return. And he always keeps his word. As we read the word, every word is accurate. So, ten days later, they're in the upper room. And the description of what took place during that time is very graphic as to the, the tongues and the fire and, and the commotion that just hit upon them. Some thought it was a storm. Some thought uh, the whole world, say, was coming to an end. And you can imagine, too, if the same thing, the, the word, the tongue, the fire, the flames, if you were sitting in that room, you'd think this is the end. But instead of being the end, it was the beginning It was the beginning of the church. I'm not talking about churches such as First Christian or Baptist or Methodist, Assembly of God, Church of Christ. I'm not talking about church like that. I'm talking about people that believe in Jesus Christ and worship Him. That they come together on uh, on a regular basis. They break bread remembering Him. That's the church. We're grateful for the walls, the buildings, but the church is the people. So the disciples 
were so moved by this experience that they went out on the balcony and they found that there were hundreds of individuals, thousands, that were outside for they had heard the noise that was coming from the upper room. And then the disciples went out and standing on the balcony started speaking to those that were coming up out of curiosity. Now, when they have the major feast, they come from Rome, they come from Italy, they come from all over where, where Hebrews are because this is a major worship uh, time for them. And they, they came from all over. And the disciples started talking to them in their own native tongue. So, I mean, you, you heard the disciples speaking in all these different languages, and please remember, the disciples were not well-educated people unless you consider fishing being an education. Jim, have you, you agree with that? Yeah. Amen. I got an amen up here. I'm going to stand over here pretty close to you. <laughs> but they were fishermen. They were laborers. And yet they were speaking in all these different tongues. How many different languages do you know? I know English. No, I take that back. I know West Texan. (laughs) There's a difference. But I don't know all these different, and neither did they. They understood their native language, but they were speaking in all the different tongues. And there were some that said, these people are drunk. I mean, uh, and Peter says, no, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. There's no one here drunk. And they were speaking the word of Jesus Christ to all of those that gathered. And Peter was so emphatic about it and so powerful with his that there were 3,000 people that gave their life to Christ that day. And he was insulting them. He was saying, you were there. You were the ones that were yelling, crucify Christ. You were there. It's like putting a finger in their nose. Just insulting them. But instead of running them off, it brought them in for... Peter was talking about Jesus Christ's resurrection and salvation. That's what Pentecost is. That we remember that that was the beginning for you and for me and the church. That was the beginning of Christians coming together. And one of the things that Jesus says that in uh, John uh, 18th chapter, 20 verse, or 18th verse in there, 18, 20th verses. He talks about, uh, take my word throughout the world. Now, if you're, if you got your boots on, jeans on, and no other way to, you know, move around, does the thought of carrying the word, any kind of word throughout the world, kind of, you know, inhibit you, kind of, you know, makes you uncomfortable? How do you do it? You don't have cell phones, you don't have telephones, no TVs, and he is saying taking the message throughout the world. He planted that seed, and it did go throughout the world. And that's a different story how that happened, but it did happen. It did happen. I'm going to address this predominantly to our seniors, but I think some of you will also get the message. Dan Lee, would you just kind of thrum through this, looking at the pictures and stuff? Uh, you don't need to read every one of them, but just pass it down so everybody can uh, look at it. 
Seniors, you're going to run into a total different environment now that you graduate. The reason they call it commencement is because it's just the beginning. You've spent 12 years, 13 years, preschool, 12, 13 years. My dad said that uh, he was the only guy that was the president of the senior class three years in a row. That's supposed to be funny, seniors. Would y'all please work with me here? So I don't know of any of y'all that spent three years in your senior year uh, class. But anyway, you spend a lot of time. But this is just the beginning. You, you turn around and look at those of us that are here, and you will see individuals that have been out of high school for one or two years at least. But you're going to be learning things that you have never been even exposed to. When you go, if you go to a higher level of education, whether it's technical or it's four-year college, whatever you choose, you're going to find individuals that have different thoughts. They are going to be, especially in the educational field, when I say that college level, you will find teachers that are telling you that there is no God. And if you think there is a God, then you're just weak-minded. Even their textbooks, have, they've had to go through those, the universities have, so that it doesn't look like they're promoting God and Christianity. So you have teachers that truly believe that there is no God. You have textbooks that do not make reference to it. And you have other students that feel the same way. There are so many students that don't know anything about Jesus Christ. You're going to be with them. You'll be with them in class. You may be in a dorm with them. But you're going to be with those that do not believe there is a God. Right now, you may feel real strong. Okay, yeah, there's a God. Nobody can ever change my mind. But you get away day after day socializing with them and they start making fun of you. And you start thinking, well, maybe... Maybe there's something to this. Maybe he really wasn't God himself. You know of the theory of evolution. Doesn't give credit to God. Supposedly you came from a frog and then a monkey and so forth. But I want to ask you, and they talk about the Big Bang Theory. I've been around some explosives, not anything major. But I've never seen anything an explosion did except tear up things. It never created anything. When I was y'all's age and younger, I enjoyed the 4th of July, January the 1st, so I could get my hand on some of those uh, rockets. Bottle rockets, is that what they're called? That's what they did in the dark ages, we called them that. But we never created anything. But they're saying out of this big bang, then everything was created over millenniums, thousands of years. It all came together where we are today. Do you think that book you're not going to get an allowance. (laughs) Oh, I'm going to miss you. I used to have a tooth that gave me problems too, and I don't miss, I miss it too. What I've shared with them is a book on brotherhood, 
9-11, a commemorative uh, book that um, sits on my coffee table at the house. But do you think this book created itself? The binders, the pages, the words, the pictures, do you think it just, poof, and it all came together out of nothing? Oh, you're a tough one. Dylan's saying yes. I worked, yeah, he's your son, not mine. You know, I worked in a printing shop when I was in college, and somebody else had the paper, brought it to us, and then that's when we started putting the pictures and the words and all these things printed on it. But I have never seen a book that just created itself. Just poof. Somebody's hands were all over that when they made it. The pictures from the very beginning. So when they start talking to you that there was just the world, the universe, the people, the horses, the cattle, were all just created out of nothing, you know, that's not making a whole lot of sense in my book. How can an educated person believe in that? This book... by Norman Geisler and Frank Turk. The name of it is, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. See, it takes more faith to be an atheist because you just think all of these things happen, but you don't have proof of it. You don't have proof that out of a big bang, all of a sudden there's a universe, there's animals, there's sunrise, sunset, oceans. You don't have any proof of that. And so these authors are saying, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. He is quoted in this book by David Limbaugh, and I've made reference to it several times, Jesus on trial, a lawyer affirms the truth of the gospel. He was an atheist. He grew up a Christian like, you know, in church like you have been, went all the way through high school believing, but then he got to the campuses. And as he went up through, he's a lawyer, so he went through the first three or four years and he went to law school. Uh, You know, I don't know if he got his doctorate or not, but he was influenced by people in his school. They were saying, there is no God. And if you're hit on all the time, over and over again, and this is a reason it's very important that you pick out your friends. Be very particular as your friends, because they have a lot of influence over you, especially day in and day out. But David Limbaugh makes reference to that book. He was converted from an atheist to a Christian, back to a Christian. And he did all of this research, and he's saying the same thing. The atheists do not stand on solid ground. Faith is what they're standing on. That is what they're basing their whole theory on. And you, with your education and with the influence that you're going to have, you need to understand. You're going to be challenged. You're going to be challenged in ways you never have before. In commencement time. Just beginning. If you're going away to school, mom and dad aren't there. They're not saying be in at this time. They're not questioning you as to who you're running with and quantum we know each other. So they're not nobody there. So you can do whatever you want. 
Daisy and I talked about this a couple of years ago. Your first year will be a maker or a breaker. Because you've got all of those temptations. You don't have to go home and study. He did, and it's paid off for him. But I didn't, and I struggled. It took me three years to make up for that one year, my freshman year, because I wasn't very disciplined. They don't care if you go to class or not. That You know, you can hang out in a sub and you can become real good at the pool table. You can do all kinds of things besides study. And that is the distraction that you will face. You will have to have the discipline that you never had to have up until now. That first year as a maker or a breaker, you need to find Christians you can be with. So if you're going to share information, share things from the Word. Share things that you, you, you know to be true. Not because you're weak-minded, but because you know Jesus Christ has already died for you and your sins. Ricky was showing me a book that he's reading now that it has to do with questions and answers that individuals that believe in Christ would have, like about the resurrection, about the crucifixion, about His last words on the cross. When He says, it is finished. What does that mean? Just FYI, I struggled with that. And it means His mission as a human being is finished. He was given up the flesh for the Spirit. You too will have to determine what you are going to stand for and stand against. You say, well, I don't need Jesus. I can do this. I can be a good boy and girl. But do you think you could ever be good enough to get into heaven? Is there any way you can? According to the Ten Commandments... There's not one of us that could. The first one, I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Have you ever used God's name in vain? Are you ever around people that have used His name? That's exactly what He's talking about there. That's a sin. You shall not make yourself an idol in the form of anything. It can be money, it can be anything. It can be a a trophy cabinet, it can be anything. Is that what you worship? Money, greed? You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Again, have you ever used it in a foul way? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. And on and on. The word that we read this morning. And I'm going to read it again. It's the 20th verse in Romans 3. Therefore, no one will declare righteous in his sight by observing the law. The law being the Ten Commandments. You cannot live your life. It's hard to live a single day without breaking some of this, some of these laws. You will, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. The law tells us, hey, we're sinners, each and every one of us. You know, I can just go down there and just check them off. Romans 3, uh, 11, there is no one righteous, not even one. 
There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. There's not a one of us that haven't stumbled and fallen. There's not one of us that would want to lay everything out here in church to everybody that's here that we've done wrong. Not a single one of us. And yet Jesus Christ knows it. Yours is going to be a challenge. But the people that are here, they face the same challenges you do. Just because I've got the gray hair, and Waldo keeps telling me I don't have as much as I used to, but just because of the gray on the roof doesn't mean that I'm not uh, tempted. It doesn't mean the devil leaves me alone. Matter of fact, he'll attack you more and more. The closer you get to him, the more you declare him as Christ. He will come after you. But this is a commencement. Not only for your education, but for what is right and what is wrong. You're called. But the people behind you have to make the same decision. I have to make it every day. Who am I going to stand with and who am I going to stand against? And I choose to stand with Jesus Christ as well as I can. I don't want you following me around and pointing out, hey, Wayne, you didn't do good here. Hey, you remember over here? You know, I don't want you following me. But I'm trying. And that's all we are asking of you. And we'll let you know that we're going to be here for you. This is your church family. We're going to be here for you. You can pick up that phone and call. You can come by and visit with us. We can go have a hamburger together, except you, Dylan. Uh, so, I don't take you out in public. <laughs> oh, I'm going to miss you. Um, so we, we have a commencement every day. Every day. We have to make the decision, and I'm looking at some very young Christians that I've been blessed to be able to baptize we have to work on it every day if we're going to follow Jesus Christ. So we salute you for your accomplishments. And we'll be praying for you as you are tempted to walk in the different path, a different light than you have before. But we're so proud of what you've already done. And we know with the family background that you have, with people that care for you, that there is a system in place for families to stay together. There's a f- system in place to keep you in line with Jesus Christ. As long as you walk that path, it's going to be a much easier one. I didn't say it's going to be easy, but with Christ, it's always doable. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for this time with these seniors. We're so grateful, dear Lord, to have your word. Your word is so powerful and it is always true. Every word of it is true. Yes, it was written by those that were uneducated. So many of the the books in the Bible. But with every word, they had your guidance. We should study it. We should learn from it. We should do our best to live as you have instructed us. So this is a commencement time for these young people.
but it's also a commencement day for me and the rest of us that we'll walk in the way of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Our invitation hymn is praise.